Here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, January the 24th in the year of our Lord, 2022. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we're taking a look at Luke chapter 4. This is also the fourth Sunday after the Epiphany. Now, the word Epiphany, which was also used in the Greek when Jesus changed water into wine, it really refers to manifestation. He revealed himself as God. And we made this point many a time that hardly anybody believed he was God. And in fact, it was a very important idea when the disciple Thomas finally said, my Lord and my God, after he saw Jesus after his resurrection. They just never really understood it. Even when he told them in Mark three times, he's going to Jerusalem, he will die there, and yet he will rise three days later. So, Epiphany is a time to know that he is God. The first Sunday in Epiphany, we heard about his baptism. And that baptism, of course, by John the baptizer, John made very clear. This is he who is a lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. Only God can do that. And then you had the wonderful experience of Jesus changing water into wine. I like to think about that because it absolutely destroys evolution. What? How does Jesus turning water into wine destroy evolution? Well, evolution is based on naturalistic understanding of how the world comes into being. So if you see oil in the ground, which normally comes from dead animals, it takes thousands and thousands of years, they say, for that much oil to gather in the ground. And therefore, evolution is saying the world is thousands, if not millions of years old. But they forget that when God created the world, he created it with age. Adam and Eve were not little infants. They were, well, probably teenagers, uh, 20 some odd years old when they were first created. That's what they looked like. If a doctor had come in there, he never would have said in examining Adam and Eve, oh, they're only one day old. No, he would have said they're many years old. And so we need to remember that God created the world with age. And that's very important to understand that he's created with age. In other words, an evolutionist could have gone into the Garden of Eden on the eighth day of creation or two days after creation and still would have thought 
that the world is millions of years old. Uh, one example would be stars, the light of stars from many, 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 many years away because light travels at 186,000 miles per second. And yet stars that are light years away, well, we can see their light. But Adam and Eve saw their light as soon as they were created. They looked up into the sky and the stars were there. That's what creation says in Genesis. So changing water into wine, wow. You know how long that takes for water to become wine? It first of all has the rain, then it goes into the ground, then it nurtures plants, then has grapes that are then squashed, made into wine. It takes a long, long time. Jesus did it in about five seconds. They brought in gallons and gallons and gallons of water and immediately they had become wine and we ought not be surprised at that because remember when elijah was taking care of individuals and he went to this widow and asked for something to eat and she said, I'm sorry, I'm about out of flour and oil, and I have enough for my son, and then we will die. But she still proceeded to feed Elijah. And what happened is the containers that had the flour and the oil, well, they never got empty. They continued to have those ingredients in it during the time of the drought until it rained again. And also Elijah raised her son from the dead after he had died when, she, when he was with her. So what we have here are examples of Jesus when he was in his own hometown. He went to do miracles and yet he had done miracles in Capernaum. And that's what was a lesson for this particular Epiphany week is the fourth Sunday after the Epiphany to show that he was truly God. First of all, it begins with verse 31 of Luke chapter 4. Jesus went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee. Now, why would he move to Capernaum from his own hometown of Nazareth at the beginning of his ministry. Well, it was also the hometown of the apostles Peter, James, Andrew, John, and the tax collector Matthew. And there were a number of reasons that prompted his move. First, he spoke at the synagogue in Nazareth. Remember a mob enraged by his words because he wanted to do miracles that he had done in Capernaum, attempted to throw him off the brow of the large hill. So what miracles were they aware of 
that he had done in Capernaum. Well, one of the miracles that happened was allowing the future disciples to catch a miraculous catch of fish. Remember, he asked Simon, who later he renamed Peter, to take him out in the boat. And from the boat, he spoke to the crowds in Capernaum. And of course, boy, they wanted to go fishing. And he told them where to put the net down. And wow, did he ever catch a lot of fish. Now, Jesus didn't do the catching, but the people who were doing the fishing, his future disciples, caught many fish, almost drowned the boat. And then also, when Peter had come into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. This is the text that is Luke chapter 4. It's verse 38 and following. And Jesus left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law, which means, of course, Simon was married, I find that interesting. The Roman Catholic Church thinks Peter was, in a sense, the first pope. And yet in the Roman Catholic Church, they don't allow marriage of priests. Yet their first pope, in their minds, was Simon Peter, who was married. And she had a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. He stood over her, rebuked the fever, it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now, who has power over disease? None other than God himself. So this is certainly a reading for a Sunday in Epiphany, because Epiphany, and I really like preaching during this season, is where Jesus reveals himself not just to be a human being, which he had become in his incarnation, but he still also was God. He had divine authority. And healing somebody of their diseases, in fact, in that same reading, there is a man that had an unclean demon. He was demon-possessed. And he cried out with a loud voice, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, Be silent, come out of him. And when the demon had thrown that man down in their midst, the demon came out of him. He did no harm to the man. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power, he 
commands the unclean spirits, and they came out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. That's why in last week's reading, when Jesus came to his own town of Nazareth, they expected him to do some miracles there. But they really got angry at him because he reminded them that Elijah, during the great drought, the only miracle that he had done is that he was with this woman who was a Gentile. And he not only, through him, had food that never ran out, but he also raised her son from the dead. And then Jesus also talks about Naaman the leper. Naaman was an army official in Syria, and that was an enemy of Israel. And he had conquered part of Israel and taken a young girl to be the servant of his wife, an Israeli. And she told the wife, after Naaman came down with leprosy, that there was a prophet in Israel that could heal him. When he went there, Elijah, Elisha, that was the prophet there, told him to go and bathe in the River Jordan. And, well, Naaman thought it was dirtier than the rivers back home. So at first he declined to do that. But his servants persuaded him. And when he did that, he was healed of his leprosy. So Jesus mentions two miracles done to Gentiles. And we know that there was not much love between many Jews and Gentiles because Gentiles were intermarrying with Jews, which was forbidden by God. And it did lead a number of Jews to begin to worship other gods. And some of their leaders, like Solomon, even had built statues in holy places for these Gentile gods. That's how persuasive the devil can be. So when Jesus began healing, people expected that healing to be done in Nazareth. And when he did not do healing, but mentioned the healing of Gentiles, well, they wanted to throw him off a cliff. So on this particular Sunday, we again see something that the people miss. They say, what is this word? They recognize he had authority and power to command unclean spirits, and they came out of those he healed. But they never jumped to the conclusion, well, this is God. This is the fulfillment of the promises. There were those who did consider him at times to be the Messiah, the Christ. But in their thinking, that was because he could do all these signs and wonders, not that he had come to take away their sins. So throughout the ministry of Jesus, 
he gave plenty of indication that he was divine, that he was God. But time and time again, the people missed it. And in fact, he finally departed into a desolate place, but the people began to look for him and came to him, and they did not want him to leave them. In verse 43 of Luke chapter 4, Jesus says why he had to leave them. I must preach the good news of the gospel of God. And what's the good news of the gospel? Good news is the gospel. And that refers to the many promises connected to the incarnation, the sufferings, the death, the resurrection, and Jesus ascending into heaven again. That's the good news of the kingdom of God, that you can be a member of the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, for I was sent for this purpose. And he continued preaching, it says, in the synagogues of Judea. So though his hometown became Capernaum, since a number of the disciples were there, he did do miracles in Capernaum, but there's no doubt that he had another purpose. And that said very clearly in the gospel, according to St. Mark, that his main purpose was to indicate repentance of sins and the good news of the gospel. Very much he was in line with John the baptizer, who became the preacher of the repentance of sins. And that's why John the baptizer couldn't understand why Jesus needed to have a baptism of repentance because John said, I need to be baptized by you. You don't need to be baptized by me. And Jesus says, no, in order to fulfill all righteousness, it is necessary that I be baptized. And therefore that baptism, a part of the epiphany season, shows not only to him that he is God, because the Father expresses that he is his beloved Son, but also he takes on our sin. And he takes on our sin in order to die for our sin, to be punished as though he was a sinner. And therefore, God declares him, God the Father, declares him to be sinner in the same way that God the Father declares you to be righteous. Are you really righteous? Do you no longer sin? Of course not. You continue to sin. But there is a declaration of God himself that says you are now sinless. Even in the midst of your sin, you are considered to be sinless. That's what the Bible means 
by your being justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, even though you continue to sin. And in the same way, Jesus was declared to be a sinner, even though he never sinned. So he died a death that he did not deserve. But in that death, as he says from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And all who trust in the word of Jesus. When we say trusting Jesus, it doesn't mean that you believe he once existed as a human being or that he even died. Trust means that, yes, he died, but he died for you. Faith's object is always the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. And in fact, for God so loved the world. If you have time, you'll want to read the epistle for this coming Sunday, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 31, where Paul says he's going to show you a more excellent way. And he begins by saying, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, but and have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, this word love in the Greek is agape. It's an unselfish love where you do things for other people, and you do them not for yourself. Jesus was the supreme gift of love that God the Father sent into the world. That's found in Daniel, where God the Father, referred to as the Ancient of Days, sends Jesus to redeem the world of sin. And that's done by paying the price of our redemption. And what is that price? It is death. Jesus is cursed, as the Bible says, anyone who hangs on a tree. And the Bible mentions the cross at least twice as a tree upon which Jesus was crucified. And so Jesus knew the manner of death because it says in Psalm 22 that he will be pierced in hands and feet. And he also knew that he would be rejected by many in his day. He was rejected because in Nazareth, he refused to do miracles because that's what the people thought he was all about. They considered him a bread king, a miracle worker, 
not the Son of God who had come to take away the sins of the world. And in that message of Jesus, he has given us comfort. He has given us hope. And he has given us the assurance that heaven is our home. You are going to heaven if you trust in the promises of the gospel. And it is the promises that is the object of our faith, not just the person Jesus, not just the events of his incarnation or his crucifixion. There are a number of people who believe that he was crucified for us, but they don't believe he was crucified to forgive our sins. He was crucified instead to be an example that we are to follow. And if we follow that example, then we also will be saved. No, the Bible is not about following the example of Jesus to save yourself. That is a message of law. And nobody can sufficiently obey the law properly in order to offset their sins. We instead need the wonderful works of Jesus who became sin for us in order that we also will be exercised which I'm talking about our baptism, that in that baptism, God takes care of us. Now, on tomorrow's Law and Gospel with Mark Smith, the hymn selected for this fourth Sunday after the Epiphany is entitled, Son of God, Eternal Savior. Join with us to hear the words of that hymn and how they apply to you. I'm Tom Baker. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your checkout to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132 or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod.